electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the final days of a somewhat rocky month for stocks and what the now famously fragile fall will hold for your money. The investment committee debating whether this two-day rally has some newfound staying power. Joining me for the hour today, Amy Raskin, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Take a look at the markets. Right now, we are green across the board. Yields at 421 on the 10-year. All right, Joe. So we said it was a rocky August. I mean, it's been, it's not, it hasn't been that bad, though. I mean, it hasn't been that bad. I mean, the S&P is down 3%. Sure. Here's the craziest stat of the month. The S&P 500 has yet to post consecutive green days in the month. If August finishes that way, it will be the first time in more than 22 years that the S&P 500 failed to post consecutive daily gains in a month. My big question to you, can we get our momentum back? Yes, and we will. We will. Because if you go back to 1990, there's been 10 instances in which the S&P 500 was up greater than 10% in the first half of the year. And in each one of those instances, the second half of the year was positive. I believe that you will get it back. You just have to be patient. You have to wait for time. On Friday, I said we were 0 for 2 in terms of the catalyst. Okay, maybe that was being a little bit, a little bit of a hyperbolic statement. But in reality, if you place that into context, where was the S&P 500 last Wednesday? Let's pull up a chart and look. The S&P 500 last Wednesday was 44.36, okay? So the market's gone to a lot of different places, Scott, and really gone nowhere after NVIDIA, after Jackson Hole. I think we got as high as 44.55, as low as 43.56, and here we are right around 44.20. But what's the reason for that? The reason that we're going to a lot of different places and ending up nowhere and why you have to be patient is Treasury yields. The 10-year Treasury last Wednesday as we headed into NVIDIA's reporting, it was 419. Where is it today? After NVIDIA, after Jackson Hole, it's 421. That's what's leading the market right now. That's why I think patience is the right uh, position to have in the market. But understand you're in a volatile period that's bumping up against seasonality. So, Amy, is that the number one factor as we Ask the question, can stocks get their momentum back as we head into the fall? Number one on my list, what will yields do? That's the biggest wild card, as as Joe says. Do you agree with that? I do. I I do agree with that. And real yields are up 60 basis points this year, Um, obviously nominal up up more. But um, you would have expected multiples to contract when you get yields up. And instead, multiples have expanded. So we are in this period, I think, of digestion. Um, of choppiness. We haven't been particularly bullish um, of late, and I do think that's going to continue. Um, Maybe we'll get a year-end rally, as we usually do, but um, I would expect the fall to continue to be tricky. Weiss, i got three things on my list, right? The the, the factors, if you will, that are going to make the the determination as to whether stocks are able to get their momentum back. Number one, yields. What will they do? Number two, the data has to cooperate, right? You want it to be good, 
you could say arguably not too good, and you're going to get a flurry of it this week. Confidence tomorrow, GDP revision Wednesday, the Fed's favorite inflation measure, PCE on Thursday, and then the jobs report on Friday. And then I think it's fair to say that tech has to stabilize. Those are the three most critical factors as we see them as to whether you'll be able to say that stocks can get their momentum back. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, more importance to the PCE number than the others, of course, but everything is relevant that you mentioned. Look, the market's really got a thread needle in my view here because the dialogue narrative has changed somewhat. So narrative is now more focusing on the consumer. They're focusing on the depletion of savings that they built up over the pandemic. They're focusing on, on high credit card balances and slightly increasing delinquencies. So that really is the issue. Where is the market going to turn? And then, of course, when Powell came in, and what a wild day it was on Friday. I mean, the market just couldn't make heads or tails, attribute some of that to light volume, but light volume could have taken you either way. And as it turned out, it really did. So look, I, I think we're in a pause time for the market. September, a lot's made of it as being a very bad month seasonally. but. Historically, since 1920, uh, September has been down only 1.1%. That's really nothing. Then October, while it has the largest number of 5% corrections in, the, in a month, uh, it's generally an up month. So, look, I don't think you can really look at those seasonal aspects of it and say that's going to really dictate the market. To me, it's more how does the economy move? And right now, you can see the narrative really switching to that You've got the consumer continuing to weaken. You've got inflation continuing to stay high. And the Fed is on watch, not for lowering. That's not going to happen anytime soon, but on watch for increasing to tighten. I personally don't think that they will, but that's enough of an overhang where I think it's going to be quite some time before we regain momentum. Jimmy, what about you? Will you take into well, consideration everything that everybody said to this point? What do you think? There's a balance, always a balance between the positives and the negatives facing the market. We know a lot of the negatives, right? You mentioned yields. I'm surprised nobody mentioned the retailers' reports last week, which kind of cast a sour cloud over the state of the consumer. But on the other hand, there are some positives as well. We see where fourth, uh, third quarter GDP is currently tracking. And we've seen macro uh, estimates for the S&P 500 for this year and next finally start to tick up, finally reflect what we've seen in the first two quarters of better than expected earnings. And when you have a balance between the positive and negatives, I find it's very useful to address what the environment of the market is right now. And it might be helpful, Scott, if we pull up a two-year chart of the S&P 500, compare where we were last year, it was a decidedly negative trend, decidedly negative. Now we've got the 200-day moving up. Um, and we have for most of this year. So the, the trend is now positive. And in that trend status, the positives in my mind outweigh the negatives once we get through two more weeks of this choppiness. You better get tech to stabilize, though, Joe, right? I mean, it's the worst sector of the month, still the best sector of the year. The, you know, those seven stocks that had done so well, they sputtered a bit in August, obviously. Meta down 10%, Tesla down 10 as well, Apple 9, NVIDIA 2. Those are not, you know, tremendous declines. Alphabet 2, Amazon 1. But in the same light, you, you, you do need some stabilization there. If you're going to have questions about the, the economy and where we are and maybe other cyclical areas of the market, don't do so hot. 
you're going to need these to get back on track and find their own momentum, right? That's where the momentum was in the first place. That's where the leadership was. We had leadership for the very first time that existed in technology and in the mega caps. We've been searching for that since the pandemic. Uh, for the market to restore its prevailing bull trend, to go back towards the high for the year, to call into question the possibility of maybe taking out the January of 2022 all-time high, then yes, the participation from mega caps and technology has to be there. I also think that you have to think about two things. Number one, positioning plays to the advantage of the bulls because at some point if momentum begins to restart, then you're going to have a lot of portfolio managers that begin to chase. Well, and but where are they going to chase? Let me stop you there. They're going to chase mega they're caps, gonna, right? They're because because as we learned last week from some of the data that was out there regarding either Apple or the mega caps more broadly, they're underowned they're, in, in terms of institutions, hedge funds and things like that. And understand that's the easiest way to capture the passive exposure to the index is through those mega cap names. There's also the possibility that the downside is somewhat buffered because a lot of these companies have strong free cash flow and strong buyback authorizations. And just as an example, NVIDIA. So NVIDIA reported it was 471, it's about 457 today. And people now are calling into question, was that a, a critical high above, above 500? Understand that NVIDIA, the board authorized an additional 25 billion in buybacks without an expiration. They already have about four and a half billion on the previous authorization that they haven't bought back. It's about $29.5 billion that buffers the downside on any significant correction. That's why you, you, you know, your admittedly hyperbolic comment about, you know, we're, we were 0 for 2. Right. I could easily come back at you and say, we were, two for, we were 2 for 2. NVIDIA delivered. They give you the buyback. Okay. They, in, in essence, perhaps put a floor under their stock. And then Powell, well, it's not like he trashed the market or rates right. went to the moon off of his comments. I come back and say we were two for two. It yeah. would have been a lot and, different and, story had, and, and, had either of those things not gone the way they did. Yeah, and maybe I'm just not being patient enough because maybe it all comes to fruition in the coming weeks when we, once we get out of the seasonal period and once we get out of these distortions between what clearly is a consumer that seems to be decelerating in its spending habits, inflation that's stubbornly high, and an economy that looks a little bit stubbornly high as well because of all the fiscal stimulus. That brings me back to, to Weiss. You know, um, all roads lead to, to Weiss. Um, because I see here as we're talking Natural. about these catalysts that you need, <laughs> uh, the question is, do we get to a dead end at the end of that road, Weiss? But that's neither here nor there. You bought more Meta, I see. Um, I did. On Friday. Tell me why you did that. I did. <clears throat> Look, I chased some a while ago. The stock was down almost 4%. Uh, it was down about 10 bucks, so 3.5% or so. I just thought it was ridiculous. It's, it's the least expensive, most reasonably priced, made cap tech stock. So that's why I did it. I just thought it was, you know, a, a summer Friday, late in the week, the weekend, the Friday before the Labor Day, the week before Labor Day. So plenty of reasons for that lack of volume to just drive that stock down. I thought it was crazy. So I took the opportunity to add some back. I didn't buy back everything that I sold, but it's a comfortable position. And you have to buy these when they're down. Uh, and if you take that longer term view on Meta and the other big cap stocks, uh, the ones that aren't at their, that are too expensive, will grow into their multiples at some point. NVIDIA's in 
different story, completely different story. Uh, but that's why I bought it. It just got very cheap very quickly. So, Joe, you in. have to buy and win them down. That, that's what Weiss says. Meta's down 10%, as I recap a moment ago in, in the month of August. You own that, too. I do own Meta, and it's and, obviously... And it's down 15% from its highs, by yeah. the way. Well, you still would make the argument, Weiss, that it's, it's one of the cheapest stocks of, of that group. Yeah. I mean, the P.E. would, yep, would exactly. obviously validate that, that thought, but that's part of your thesis here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe? It's the leadership. The mega caps are the place, I believe, where you could find the quote-unquote definition of quality, and I think everyone wants quality in this marketplace right now. And I also think don't dismiss looking at a lot of reasonably valued semiconductors, whether it's a name like Broadcom, on semi, microchip, KLA Corp. These are semiconductor companies that have gone through already a recessionary type of environment in 2022 and come out on the other side better. Okay, so I'm glad you went there um, because there's an interesting note, Amy, from Wolf today where they essentially call the top in semis and they use NVIDIA as the catalyst to do it and the earnings that came last week and the lackluster reaction that they saw in the market. Unsurprisingly, they say, the results were telling, to say the least, what at first looked like another blowout earnings print that would once again propel the broader market higher quickly turned out to not be the case. Was this the market calling the top? Sure feels like it. What do you think? I'm not sure if it was calling the top, but I I do agree more with that note than not. Um, I thought the reaction to NVIDIA's earnings were, was very worrying. It was such a blowout and for the stock not to do anything um, or a- anything big really was a worrying sign. It told you that expectations are much higher than even the whisper numbers were, and the whisper numbers were pretty aggressive, um, That than the whisper numbers were expecting. So I do take it as a worrying sign. I do think if the market comes back, it is not the mega caps that lead. I do think, um, while the cash flows are good, um, I do think that they're, as a group in general, are overvalued, um, notwithstanding Meta being the cheapest. I agree with Steve on that. but. Um, I, I, this is not where I'd be looking for leadership. I think that's where we had leadership, um, but I think it's stalled out and I wouldn't expect it to come right back. What if Jim, I took the other side of that and I said, you know what? I don't think it was worrying at all. What if you make the case that it was exactly what you would want to see in a, in a stock that's been hyperbolic, parabolic, the way that that stock has moved 50% into the number over the last three months, up to 200% year to date, now, if NVIDIA reports what, what it did after there was already all of that good feeling in the stock, you'd say, man, this market has just gotten crazy. And that AI group, which was already on fire, now is just a, you know, a five alarm burning mess that it needs to come down to earth and settle down. Maybe it's a positive sign, the way that NVIDIA reacted after earnings. Maybe we should look at it a different way. If you were to say that, Scott, I would say I completely agree. And I think the key element here is that the time frame matters. Um, you know, I can go back three weeks ago, a little less than three weeks ago, the stock bottomed out at 403. Right now we're seeing it at 458. So, you know, you, you do the math on that, and that's, uh, that's a good 15% higher, more or less, in three weeks um, for a stock that, by the way, up until that point had been up 200% year to date. So, you know, Amy makes a perfectly valid point that you can look at it on the day of the earnings or the day after earnings and say, wow, uh, on that one day, it was really lackluster, and especially after that blowout. But I think the perspective matters, and this is to Wolf's comments as well. 
maybe it's a top for this week or even this month, but by no means do I think NVIDIA is done reaching new highs. Um, personally, I find myself in a win-win situation because I kind of perversely want it to go down, even though I'm a holder, you know I'm gonna be buying more. So if this thing does decay a little bit more over the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna add to it happily after the earnings that I got. I mean, Joe, you know, NVIDIA taking a breath and cooling down a little bit, is that a bad thing? Not at all. Not at all. And it's probably a good thing that while it takes a breath, the market is not too far away from where it was on last Wednesday prior to the announcement. Um, I, I think about the totality of 2023. And if you said to me, Scott, we're going to close the year at let's call it 44 and a quarter to 4450. I'll sign up for that right now. The, the concern, the risk is that the market breaks down, deteriorates and all of the leadership gains that came from technology and mega cap evaporate. We go back to a climate like we were in the fall. That's the risk in the market to me. So if we could just kind of maintain, maybe it's the old expression, sideways is, is the new is up. The new up. Yeah, but, but I think you know being right here uh, as we move into the fall is not a bad place to be. All right, so let's hit some, some other stocks that I want to talk about that, that were significant stories this month. Um, and need to find themselves. Disney is, is undoubtedly one of the most dismal stock stories of, of the month of August. It's our chart of the day for that reason. Um, down 5% this month, basically at a nine-year closing low. Uh, Amy, you own it. What have you been doing with it? What is your outlook for it? Because the price action and the chart itself are just ugly. Yeah, um, well, I've, I've spoken about this a couple of times. We did sell it from our focus portfolio earlier in the year, and we trimmed it back a lot in our core portfolios. Um, you know, look, the stock has had a lot of bad news being thrown at it. Um, and I, you know, the reason that we sold it was that I, you know, it's competing against companies that have unlimited. Uh, unlimited cash flows, pretty much, and very low cost of capital, and they're competing for content in that environment, which we didn't like, and we still don't, and that's still the case. That said, I do think the quarter was pretty good, um, and it had a nice reaction to the quarter. Um, I do think they're doing a lot of the right things. Um, as I mentioned before the show, I, we were just I just spent two weeks in Japan. We spent a couple of days at Tokyo Disney. I mean, the love for this stock all over the world by millions and millions of people and these characters and these stories and, and this content um, is, is very, very valuable from a long-term perspective. So I do think that there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of near-term noise. We have to see what happens with ESPN um, and what deal Iger can, can pull out with that. But um, I think from a longer-term perspective, this is a company that has a lot of assets and a lot of goodwill built up with, by, for millions of people around the world, love this company and yeah. love love their content. And I think um, that that goes a long way. So I do think at, at these prices, it's probably more of a buy than a sell. Um, but again, there's a lot of noise in the near term. I mean, they may love the company, they may love the content, um, but it's interesting Amy saying, well, there's a lot of love for this stock because of what she saw out at, at Tokyo Disney. I mean, the fact of the matter is there's been this disconnect between that alleged love that people have for, for this company and their content, which others have been critical of of late, Josh Brown being you know, among the loudest voices there, um, and this, getting all of that to translate into what this business is actually doing moving forward. I think it goes back to prior to the pandemic. It goes back to when Disney Plus 
was in the initial stages, and we were having conversations on the show about Disney being a growth company. And I think what the realization is now is that they were never able to ascertain that element of growth within, uh, within the fundamentals of the company. Yeah, maybe the stock price reflected a company that looked like it could be a growth company, but it's never really ultimately been able to achieve that. Now I think it's back to being more of a value company and a company that if Bob Iger was not there would really, really, I think, be in a more punishing place. They have to recreate themselves. Yeah, so Nike was down 12 straight days in the month. Let's not forget about that. It's looking for its back-to-back -back gain. So we'll keep our eyes there too. I wanna to hit Goldman Weiss, because Goldman's down eight and a half in mm -hmm. August as well. Uh, four straight negative weeks. That's the, it's coming off its fourth straight negative week. That's the first time since March, worst month since December. You are a shareholder. Give me your thoughts, please. Well, they, they did announce the sale of one of their uh, retail businesses today, and they sold it at a gain, which may be surprising to some, one of the reasons why the stock's up today. Look, you're having a, a, you know, a CEO drama play out in public, and that, that's never good for confidence in a stock. You also have, you know, people just don't know when that the market is going to open up again, meaning the IPO and the secondary market. We're seeing some green shoots, but consensus is from the bankers, whether it's the bankers at Goldman or any of the other firms you talk to, it's really a 2024 issue. And while we've seen the curve, you know, the, the yield curve be less inverted and some would argue start to steepen, um, and that's what they really need to see to make money. So I was actually thinking of buying more Goldman today because they're very quick to address their issues. Keep in mind, they make their living primarily, you know, advising uh, investors, institutional investors, and ultra high net worth investors. And so they're, they're on show here, and I think they're acquitting themselves very well. They made an investment in retail banking, they're saying, without letting it sit there and, and fester and, and decline for years. It was a mistake. Let's get out of it. So mm -hmm. I think that's very positive. So if I had to guess, Goldman's going to be higher six months from now than where it is right now. But truly, today, I was looking at doing some work on it and saying, maybe I should buy some more because it's gotten so beaten up. Right. And it's no different than the others. The others are off their highs. Mm -hmm. This happens to be much more visible. All right. You let us know if you do that, uh, which I'm sure you will. All okay. right. Coming up, Crowd Control, one high-flying cyber stock got hit with a downgrade ahead of its earnings this week. We debate it in our call of the day. Do it next. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clear at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available.
called the day. It's a proud strike. Uh, reports earnings this week. Stock got downgraded today. Uh, to equal weight from overweight, Morgan Stanley. Joe, you know I'm coming to you on this. Price target goes to 167 from 178. We think the slowdown in core endpoint security is likely to last through calendar year 24 with a recovery in 25. Um, the stock is at a great six months, okay? Uh, as you know, it's up more than 20%. It's had a great year. It's up more than 40%. It's now the time to maybe take some off the table. So here's, here's the way I think about owning CrowdStrike, owning Palo Alto, owning any, any cybersecurity name. And here's why I own them. First of all, let's say I owned a dollar of CrowdStrike, which I previously did in June. I didn't own Palo Alto. Right now I own 50 cents of CrowdStrike. I own 50 cents of Palo Alto. I don't own it for the upcoming quarter. I agree. Maybe the risk-reward is more balanced. On the street, there's 41 buys. There's seven holds. There's zero sells with a 12-month average price target of $179. Here's why I own it. I own it because computer network attacks and computer network exploitation mm -hmm. is only going to increase in the coming years. It's state-sponsored. It's state-sponsored attacks. They want the technology that's present here in the United States. And CrowdStrike as a company is really good at threat hunting. What is threat hunting? Threat hunting is basically meeting the attack where it happens. The average attack occurs in 84 minutes. 84 minutes, the average attack. What's the response to that? Utilizing CrowdStrike and their threat hunting presence, you cut down the average response, which could be over the course of four days, to literally when that attack ultimately happens. So I'm owning this for the long term because I believe in the cybersecurity thesis. Just like AI is a actionable thesis within the market, so is cybersecurity. Upcoming quarter, yep, Morgan Stanley could be right. And by the way, last week, UBS went 170 to 180 on CrowdStrike. Okay. So that, that offsets that. Let me, let me go by my memory and correct me if I'm wrong. In, in terms of the history of you in this space, it was CrowdStrike and CrowdStrike only, right, for a while. Palo Alto you did not, years Well, ago. that was years ago. Yep. But more recently, then you, you didn't have Palo Alto as it sort of did not. outraced CrowdStrike, Correct. which you declared at one point either on this show or on Closing Bell, I own the wrong stock. Now, you've lightened up at, at some point recently on CrowdStrike. You're back into Palo Alto, and that's where we find ourselves today. Yeah, the Did low. I lay that out right? Absolutely. The low in uh, CrowdStrike was in May at around 116. I got in at a very decent price. I've sold out of it somewhere around 146, 147, and just kind of sat back. After Palo Alto's earnings, after Palo Alto's earnings, I realized let's stop trading. Let's stop trading these cybersecurity names. Let's be in the cybersecurity names. Now, by the way, the Joe T ETF owns Fortinet, yes, which, Fortinet which it doesn't look good. It's ugly because Fortinet after earnings was down significantly. That's more short term oriented. My holdings, my personal holdings of Palo Alto and CrowdStrike, they are for the long term. And they are because I believe the computer network attacks and exploitation are going to increase in the coming years. OK, those earnings, uh, by the way, in CrowdStrike are Wednesday in overtime. Uh, so we'll be looking forward to that this week. Silvana Hanau has our headlines for us today. Silvana. Hey, Scott. Well, a federal judge in D.C. set former President Donald Trump's election interference trial date for March 4th. That's one day before Super Tuesday. The judge said Trump will have to prioritize the trial and that she wouldn't change the date based on any defendant's professional obligations. FTX's former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, appealed a court's decision to jail him before his trial over the failed cryptocurrency. 
A judge revoked Bankman Freed's bail earlier this month, finding probable witness tampering after he shared his former par uh, partner's personal writings with the New York Times. Bankman Freed is arguing he is being punished for exercising his right to free speech. And a fire rescue helicopter crashed into a building near Fort Lauderdale this morning. Authorities said two people were injured and transported to the hospital. Video shows flames and smoke billowing from the helicopter before it appears to break in half while plummeting toward the ground. Scott. All right, Silvana, thank you. Silvana, head now. All right, up next, a new development in the ETF world that could lead to big inflows there. Bob Pisani standing by with today's ETF Edge. Plus, we're just one month away now from CNBC's Delivering Alpha Investor Summit in New York. For details, you can scan the QR code on the screen or you can visit CNBCEvents.com slash Delivering Alpha. Halftime's back after this. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clearer skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. We're back. Bob Pisani has today's ETF edge. Hey, Bob. Hello, Scotty. Welcome to the ETF portion of Halftime Report. The ETF community is abuzz about a new development that could lead to another huge wave of money going into ETF funds. 20 years ago, Vanguard was granted a patent to operate mutual funds and ETFs as essentially the same share class. That allowed access to all of Vanguard's passive mutual funds in an ETF wrapper, one of the factors that helped fuel Vanguard's big rise as an ETF powerhouse. Now, that patent has now expired, and others, led by dimensional funds, are lining up, asking the SEC to allow them to essentially copy what Vanguard has done. Let's talk to one of the first guys in that line. Gerard O'Reilly is the co-CEO and chief investment officer of Dimensional Fund Advisors. Gerard, why is this so important, having ETFs and mutual funds in the same share class? And, and what are the chances the SEC are going to grant approval? Hey, Bob, thanks for the question. Good to see you again. It's important, I think, for all investors to be able to benefit from the economies of scale that ETF share classes can potentially bring uh, to investors because you have people saving for retirement, and those are the same people that are investing in ETFs in brokerage accounts. And if they can invest in the same strategies in their retirement account through a mutual fund share class and in their brokerage account through an ETF share class, I think that gives them benefits of economies of scale and benefits of consistent of, uh, of investment approach across their various different uh, accounts. So we feel very strongly about this one. A lot of our clients are demanding and asking for more strategies to be available in both mutual fund and ETF format. Uh, and we think working with the SEC uh, to get the required exemptive relief in order to offer investors uh, that structure uh, is yeah. the way forward for us and the industry. 
If I'm hearing you right, the implication here is that this opens up a whole additional mechanism to enter ETF space. I mean, there's over 7,000 mutual funds out there. So it, there seems to be potential to expand the business rather largely here. The, the biggest piece is this retirement market. It, $6 trillion in retirement funds are out there, but the business is mostly closed to ETFs. It, it's all mutual fund companies. Could this open up the 401k business to ETFs, for example? It could open up a, a lot of different markets, uh, Bob, to ETF business and mutual fund business. We think that both of those vehicles have brought lots of benefits to the end investor, uh, and that's what we're focused on. If you look at our application for the exemptive relief, uh, we outline four potential benefits for mutual fund investors if indeed there were an ETF share class and five potential benefits for ETF share class investors if that were granted uh, uh, by the SEC. Uh, so we think that there's benefits for the end investor uh, to this type of a structure, and it would allow more investors in different channels to uh, access uh, investment strategies that they may not otherwise uh, have wanted to or could access, and we think that that yeah. would be a good development for, for the end investor. Now, Vanguard had exemptive relief for passive funds for, for their, for their uh, funds. Are you asking for passive and active funds to be allowed to have this dual share class? Yeah, we're asking for exemptive relief under what's called the new ETF rule. Uh, and so that would be for active funds only, uh, as well as uh, passive funds. Uh, active funds, most of the dimensional funds are, are non-index or active, as we like to call them. Uh, so we've applied for it under the ETF rule, uh, so using the existing uh, infrastructure and frameworks that exist to, to manage ETFs today. Okay. Thank you, Gerard. We're going to have a lot more coming up on ETFs with Gerard on ETF Edge. That's 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. He'll be joined by Ben Slavin. He's the Managing Director and Global Head of ETFs for BNY Mellon. Learn why this is a big potential game changer. Having ETFs and mutual funds in the same share class could bring a lot more people into the ETF space and the retirement space as well. Big areas there. And what are the chances the SEC will grant approval to that? It's not clear yet. ETFedge.cnbc.com coming up. Scott, All right. back to you. All right, Bobby, good stuff. Thank you, Bob Pisani. Coming up, biotech bounce. One big name in that space is rallying. Joe owns it. We'll talk about the reasons behind that move and the look ahead for that space in general. We've got a lot of ownership of healthcare stocks on the desk today. We'll do that when we come back. We're watching shares of Horizon Therapeutics today. They're higher. The FTC pauses its challenge to Amgen's $27.8 billion takeover deal. So you own Horizon first. So let's just go over, over this with you quick, and then we'll expand it to everybody else because we do have a lot of ownership. Yeah, so obviously this is favorable for closure of the deal. Mm -hmm. uh, the expectations is now that this deal could close by the end of the year. That's what the pause to September 18th. A lot of the reasoning why we have owned Horizon Therapeutics. Yes, very quality company, uh, biotech focused on immunology, but also had very, very strong momentum. I will add, this is also probably favorable for the CGen Pfizer deal as well, given the FTC pause. So okay. on both fronts, good news. So Jimmy, I've read some calls today that say you should be in healthcare, which has you know been a bit of a disappointment this year. Obviously, you own AbbVie, Bristol Myers, CVS, Thermo Fisher, Verdex Pharmaceuticals. What do you think about this space and some of the names specifically that I mentioned to you? 
Yeah, there's not been a lot of love for this space this year. And, you know, if I think that was a wide array, uh, as the healthcare sector is, of companies, thinking about the pharmaceuticals in particular, there's a negative catalyst that's about to get out of the way. I believe it's Friday that uh, that the government will announce which 10 drugs they're going to force negotiations on as a, as a result of the IRA Act last year. And I think that's been hanging over a lot of the pharmaceutical space. Once that's out of the way, that could clear the way for these very cheap, high-yielding stocks to start to recover. Um, but the space overall has just lacked attention, and I think that will eventually change based on the valuation and the dividend yields. Amy, AbbVie, Editas Medicine, we never, we never talk about that one. So you, why don't you tell me about that? What is that? Well, actually, we don't own that one anymore. I'm sorry. I don't, well, that's why um, we don't talk about it. <laughs> well, that solves that. I guess we're not talking about it. Right, we'll, stop. we'll continue not to talk about that company or that stock. Uh, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals and Vertex as well. Regeneron and Vertex are our big biotech holdings. We like both of them. They're both pretty close to their 52-week highs, actually. have been trading well, although... Um, you know, the space in general has not gotten a lot of love. But we I agree with Jim. I think these are underlooked companies right now. They have a lot of shots on goal. There's been a lot of improvement in um, in healthcare and new medicines that have come out to treat diseases that heretofore had no um, treatments. And it's been a really exciting space, but hasn't gotten the credit for it in the market. So we, we like healthcare a lot. Um, it was our pick for the second half of the year. Um, and, and we think there are a lot of good holdings that are trading at reasonable valuations that have a lot of actually good growth in front of them. Okay. And then lastly, Weiss, right? We made a big deal of you selling Humana last week. You still own United Health. Right. You like profitable health care. Do, do you still like it now as much as you did, let's, you know, let's say, six months ago? I do. I do. You know, what we don't talk about in the show because it gets sort of too technical is that the government for, for Medicare and, and Medicaid also we push into value-based care. So what that means is that they'll be paying you to the extent you can achieve better results. So you have to be an insurance company really or have that kind of backing to understand what that means for your risk. So that's number one. I think that United Health does. It's the premier. It also, with Ozempic and the other weight-lossing drugs, that's going to cut down a lot of the health care problems that we see in this country. So that'll be positive. What I don't know, candidly, though, is if ultimately they'll be forced to pay for these expensive drugs. But I still do like quite a bit. Scott, you know, I, I've been uh, negligent in not disclosing another position. I took a trading position in a company called Apellis. The stock got crushed when uh, what they do is they basically make a drug that's injected into your eye for advanced macular degeneration, dry eye, which clouds your vision, you're not able to see, it's for, it's for older people. You may be experiencing it now, as a matter of fact. But uh, they had a few incidences where it led to an infection. Two people have irreversible dryness, uh, okay. blindness out of the seven that affected it, but they came out and it was not related to the drugs, related to the needle. So I bought a little in the 30s. I bought some more when that announcement came out at about 40. I think the stock could recover back up to the what's 80 the and ticker? 90, But it's a trading what's, position. What's the, what's the ticker? APLS. APLS. All right. I want, our, I want our viewers to be able to, uh, to, to follow that. Uh, could we throw it? There it is. Um, okay. Appreciate that, Weiss. Better late than never, I guess. But uh, yeah. what you going to do? Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word.
senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here at the desk, as you can see. You know, the thought is like, oh, it's been such a horrible month. Not really. No. I mean, it hasn't been that bad at all. No, I would say it's maybe a little bit more frustrating than it's been painful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a maximum five plus percent pullback in the S&P. Obviously, some of the best performing stocks of the year had a deeper setback or sitting on that. We're basically where we were two months ago. Mid-June levels is kind of when we first got up above 4,400, and we're where we were two years ago as well. I keep pointing out, we keep tracking that 2021 path of the market. I think that the question, which won't be settled today or this week, is was that enough to just sort of reset things? Uh, I was just looking at the forward P.E. Obviously, on the S&P, it's still well above 18, but the equal weight is back down below 15. The mid-cap index, S&P 400 mid-cap, is below thir- below 14 if you you know, if you want to believe that, uh, those estimates. And a lot of that is sector mix. But I think that, you know, it's, it's a question of not only what's going to be the next catalyst, but you could flip that around and say, what's the next thing that could possibly scare us? And to me, it's September. One of the reasons I think September has uh, a reputation well-earned for being weak is it's a weak, you're downgrading earnings expectations going into the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. Mm-hmm. So unless we see that delayed effect uh, kicking in, Uh, At least on the fundamental side, it doesn't seem as if there's something too spooky out there. We've discussed what we need to see to get the momentum back in the market. You need, obviously, yields to cooperate. You need the data to be good, but maybe not too great. And then you do need tech in some respects to, you know, get, it doesn't necessarily have to run off with things, but at least stabilize. You're an index investor, for sure. Those are the things you would need, Uh, you know. I think all of that would help. I think yields, as long as they sort of calm down and don't look like they're going to go galloping higher, it, it's probably okay. But yeah, things have to go right. It's it's not about. I always believe that good news is is, is almost always good news. In other words, I think if we get a strong jobs report on Friday, the market's not going to overextrapolate that into Fed's going to go twice this year no, or but whatever. PCE, it is. PCE is yeah. critical. Yes, only because it's the Fed's. It's the thing that matters. Forget about bank shots. You want the inflation numbers to come down. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to swish that. Uh, I'll see you in a little bit. All right, right, closing bell, Mike Santoli will be back. Uh, By the way, tune in to Mad Money tonight. That's at 6 o'clock with Jim Cramer. It's the start of a special week of shows uh, dedicated to Jim's rules of investing and his most important market lessons. That's tonight, 6 o'clock Eastern. Jim's taking you back to school. All right, coming up, Tiger Roar. Is Tiger Global on the hunt to clear up what it's calling misinformation attacks? Our Leslie Picker following the money. She's following that story, and she'll tell you about it next. Welcome back. Tiger Global doing some damage control as it scrambles to clear up, quote, misinformation attacks. Our Leslie Picker following the money. Leslie, what do we know here? Hey, Scott. Yeah, according to Tiger Global, this all stems from a disgruntled former employee Apparently, it's been going on for months. A source sent me a nine-page, single-space, anonymously written document that alleges to be a draft for The New Yorker. Supposedly, a predecessor of this PDF had been circulating the rumor mill for months, and this version caught fire in the hedge fund community, which has been sharing it virally. Now, the piece alleges everything from internal strife within Tiger to limited partner rebellion to regulatory issues, but Tiger calls all of these allegations, quote, 
packed with lies in a letter to its investors, which was obtained by CNBC and confirmed by the firm who declined to comment beyond the contents of the correspondence. It's worth noting that the firm has actually rebounded from a pretty tough 2022, though. After last year's losses of 56%, a person familiar with the matter tells me that Tiger's public portfolio is actually up about 20% through July. The firm's biggest public positions, according to its 13F, are Meta, Microsoft, and Apollo, each of which is more than 30% higher year-to-date. The firm is essentially a microcosm of being levered to tech and growth, and so therefore susceptible to swings from monetary policy, which obviously contributed to some of the losses last year with higher rates, and AI hype, which has contributed to the gains this year, Scott. Yeah, interesting story. Weiss, I, I know you have thoughts on this. Yeah, look, everybody loves a great train wreck, whether it's real or imagined, and Tiger Global is not a train wreck. Where they had their biggest issues were in the private market, where they were just spreading a lot of money to a lot of different companies at very high valuations. So, of course, some people are going to be unhappy. Some people aren't going to get paid. That's just normal business. But Chase Coleman is a brilliant investor, and they're going to recover. Every hedge fund that is has their profile, you know, whether it's Larry Robbins with his fund, he's a great investor, or Tiger Global, they go through rough patches. But you just have to stick with it long term. Investors know what they're investing in. Okay, they're smart institutional investors, and they know what they're getting involved in. They know there will be volatility. That's what you're seeing here. But, you know, when there's volatility and you lose some money, you cut some heads, you don't pay people, and unfortunately, one seemed to have gone off the rails, an ex-employee, and that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, Leslie. So I read the letter. It was not professionally written. It was not a draft for the New York. I'd be shocked. Yeah. Les, I'll let you wrap it up. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Tiger Global is the type of fund that if you're an LP, you don't put money in there that, you know, you expect it to be risk free. You you put money in there because you want high, high returns that are levered to kind of growth and technology, um, you know, whether it's on the venture side or in the public side. And you kind of see this. I mean, this is a company that or this is a firm that saw returns decline 56 percent last year. But on the upswing this year, because the market's on the upswing. So they are definitely participating in this AI surge, and you can see that in the returns through July. All right, good stuff. Leslie, thank you. That's Leslie Picker. Final Trades, coming up next. At 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell. Hope you'll join me then. Liz Young will be with me, Bryn Talkington as well, and Dave Albright. Perfect time to have him, as we're about to close a month in which yields were a huge story and maybe again as we enter the fall. So I'll see you in a couple hours time. Let's do final trades. Amy Raskin, you're up first. Um, I'm gonna go with Goldman. I'm gonna try to push Steve on his decision-making this morning, but um, we think the stock's trading like capital markets never come back and we think they do. Okay, Farmer Jim. Yeah, Boeing, last week you had one step back on that 737 fuselage news, but now you got two steps forward on the news that they're going to start delivering planes to China again. Here's your entry point. All right, Weiss, uh, Bob has had a, had a tough month, right? It, yeah, I mean, it's, it's finishing on a strong note as China finally gets the message. They're bleeding out these liquidity measures. I think they will continue to do so, and this is a great entry point. And Amy, thank you. I'm glad you said Goldman because people respond <laughs> to you since you're much smarter than me. All right. Thank you, Weiss. Joey. Minor pullback in Marriott. I still believe it's buy. Okay. Uh, Dow's good for 200. And S&P is uh, about a half percent uh, higher as you, uh, as you see there. I'll see you on closing bell the exchanges now.
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia.